Can you give one at the end? Okay, next time. Next time. We'll do next time. See, that's what I meant. I, I didn't want that response to do that. <laughs> no, I can't do that. <laughs> so you don't have to. You want a three-hour Matthew 8, and then I want to tell you a little bit of of, of story. Um, I feel bad. Jackie, you were, you were at our house last night, and we talked about college a lot, and it was really funny. Um, it was funny to me to think about college. Okay, real quick, too. This is random and doesn't have much to do with the story. But last night, we were, we were joking. Lily and Jackie and I were just talking about college silliness and whatever. And for whatever reason... I started telling a story about how me and my buddy were somewhere and we had like matching shoes on and everyone gave us a hard time about it. And I was trying to think of the kind of shoes. Did anyone have like circa 2002 or three Steve Maddens? Anyone have those shoes? You know you did. Yeah, it's like leather shoes that were cool then, kind of maybe, or we thought so. They sort of looked like, it was like the take on bowling shoes. Yeah, 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 it was like that. That makes it way worse. That makes it so much worse. You don't have them on right now? No. As it turns out, no. I've, I haven't bought a pair since 2003 either, which is, which is I'm, I'm okay with. Anyway, we were talking about that, and so, but all week, probably the reason we were talking about this, though, is because all week, I was thinking about this passage, and we're going to talk about, and that's why we were thinking on it earlier, kind of this idea of being a part of the kingdom of heaven costing us something. And that is so difficult, I think, for some of us. Um... Depending on how you grew up, it's a lot of it. I grew up very much in um, kind of Bible Belt, uh, Christian conservative cultural bubble-ish. And I didn't necessarily, I, I didn't know why I didn't like it when I was really young, but then I kind of just fell in line with it as I went through some of, some of life. Some of it did not, but some of life. And I remember this conversation was always really hard, I felt like, for a, a pastor to like, get across in our hometown. It was, you could talk about what it cost Christians in other parts of the world, right? You could talk about martyrdom, and you could talk about you know, people that you know, left everything they had when they moved to India and served there with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. Or you would talk about how people went to South America and lived in the jungle for you know, years and translated the Bible once and that was this, you know, and that is an amazing thing. I'm not talking haphazardly about it. And that cost them a lot, right? Because they're like giving up this family and this life they have and they're going to a t- completely different culture and no one's ever going to know them and yada, yada, yada. But I, I had such a hard time people explaining or understanding what it would cost me in a small town in East Texas. Because really, the truth of it was, it gained you a lot in a small town in East Texas to just fall in line with this Christian belief system. It was really good for you. All the parents, you know, if you're a young teenage boy, all the parents wanted you to date their daughter. If you were this nice Christian guy that said yes ma'am and no ma'am. Like, you could totally, it, it, was, it, was, it was great, you know, it was fine. It was, it was lovely to have every parent think you're great, 
right? Every, everyone would try to give you scholarships to go to your, you know, Baptist university if you did that because you were, like, going for it and you were going to do this and you were celebrated at all these things and it didn't really cost you anything, it didn't feel like to me. And it was always really difficult to kind of have this Matthew 8 passage be a part of our life until I went to college. So there's a story about these two people that changed my life in college. Um, and they're students. They were students with me. They're good friends of mine. One, his name was Chelsea Orr. The other one was Daniel Rodriguez. Um, Daniel Rodriguez was a roommate of mine in college. and He was the most unpolished uh, biblical study student that I've ever met in my life. It was awesome. He was so funny. He looked like half Hawaiian half Hispanic guy, which was good for him because everyone thought he was Hawaiian, so he would play it up all the time. Like he, was, he had long, awesome hair. And so people thought he was Hawaiian, and he would, he would joke about it, and he knew like three Hawaiian words and would be funny about it in class and stuff. And it was really awesome for him. But we, going along in college at a, at a school with a biblical studies program in Abilene, Texas, the most religious city in the country, at the time, it's the most churches per capita of anywhere in the world, actually, at the time when I was in college, which is very interesting. This whole idea of like a church on every corner is overly true. It's weird and awesome and very unique place. Um, but going to school there, there were three universities in town. One's a Methodist college, one's a Baptist college, one's a Church of Christ college. And so this prevailing religion was over everything. It was on top of everything you did. It... it seeped into every part of culture, which wasn't always bad, obviously, but it wasn't always awesome either. And so you had this thing at the time called Grace Bible Study. Has anyone heard of Grace Bible Study? Some of you have? I'm so intrigued. I was going to say, see? Yeah, exactly. It was famous in that town, but no one else knew, but you did know, so that's, never mind. Um, (laughs) Anyways, this big Bible study, a couple thousand college students would go every week, and you would go... Because you wanted to hear this guy speak, Matt Chandler, and hear this guy lead worship. His name was uh, Jeff something. And you would go for them, kind of, and to be seen. You would go to, like, let people know you were there at Grace. It's kind of the thing. And every other biblical study student wanted to, like, lead something like Grace, you know, because Matt Chandler was super famous and popular, and everyone thought he was awesome, so you wanted everyone to think you were awesome. So you wanted to lead that, and every single person that could play guitar that was my friend like, wanted to be Jeff's friend and let, you know, let him play on stage with him and be seen by everyone as this guy. That was awesome. And so a lot of us, hopefully on accident, kind of fell in line with these goals. That these were your goals. Your goals were to like teach really great so everyone would come listen to you or to play guitar really amazing and lead worship so spiritually that everyone could encounter God and everyone would follow you and you would have this big thing one day. That was, that was kind of all of our hopes, unfortunately. You know, that really made sense to us and it was practiced in front of us and so that's what we all wanted. And so we all kind of celebrated the people that got to do that. The, the people that got to teach at chapel every once in a while were like, oh man, they must be awesome. And everyone else would be like, how do they get to do that? I wonder how you get to do it. It was so ridiculous and gross in my head now. I'm like saying it and I'm like, oh, oh it hurts me. And the same with my worship leader buddies that would do that. It was the same mindset. Except for my friend Daniel Rodriguez. And my friend Daniel Rodriguez, first of all, mocked us for that, which was great of him. And he mocked us really funny. 
and perfectly every time, which was so beautiful of Daniel Rodriguez to do this. But also, he was just about different things than that. We would go to Grace on Thursdays to be seen and to, honestly, to meet girls and hopefully have one of those people in front shake your hand and think you were great and impress them so they would have you do something that make you look great, you know? And Daniel worked at Boys and Girls Club and he would throw a special party on Thursdays for Boys and Girls at Boys and Girls Club, him and his buddies. And we would all, during finals, want to, you know, ace your final and get to the professor to think you're great so he'd have you on his radio show or whatever else because that really wasn't the case with one professor, which was funny and weird. No one listened to the show, obviously. It's like a, a theology professor show. So it was like so dorky that we even wanted on. You know, so, so bad. So funny for me. But we wanted on there, you know? You want to be the one that gets invited on there. And my friend Daniel, one night we're studying our tails off and we're talking about, you know, our dreams, what we're going to do and all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. And Daniel comes in really late and we're like, what are you doing? You need to study for your final. Like, you're going you're gonna to fail. You know, what, what's happening? And he's like, I know, I need to study. But there's this one kid who, uh, one of our Boys and Girls Club kids, he uh, really wants to take his, like, best friend that he's known forever. He has a big crush on her. He wants to take her to prom, but he doesn't have a suit or anything. So I just went and we got him a suit today. I was like, you just went and bought this kid a suit? And he's like, yeah, he needs one real bad. I'm like, do you have, do you have, do you have a suit? And he was like, no, of course I don't own a suit. He's like, suits are expensive. And I was like, yeah. So, and we grill him. We're like, how? You just went and got him a suit. He's like, yeah, he needs one. Who else is going to give him a suit? You know, parents, they can buy him a suit. Come on, man. And my friend Daniel didn't have parents that could buy him a suit. For Christmas every year, he spent it alone at the apartment. And we would all go home. And his dad would, like, bring him by underwear and drop him off at the door. And sometimes not knock and come in to say, Merry Christmas. And he gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. Over and over again. To these people that weren't going to make him, we were all trying to be famous, and he was trying to just love people real well. That was what he wanted to do for those four years in Adelaide. And I remember just slowly that changing how I saw, I became more and more embarrassed when I would catch myself wanting to be great and see someone that was already really great, you know. And it just started to wear on me and started to change what I was doing. And I remember even, it's how loving he is. I remember I was going to leave for Connecticut to um, uh, work for a college ministry up there and, and start to plant a church. And I remember, you know, I was about to leave and he came over back to the apartment and was like in tears kind of and had saved up $100 and just was like, here's $100 for gas. I love you. I'm, you know, I miss you. Yada, yada, yada. Just because he loves people. That's his way. He just gave and loved people. And we're all college students. No one had $100, you know. And just was important. And this, this girl, Chelsea, was very similar. We had, um, again, we would, we would go and they had these things called Disciple Nows. Anyone ever been to one of these? Yeah. So we had these, if you're, if you're like a, I don't even want to go into what a Disciple Now is. It's, it's, it's fine. It's good. It's good. But we used to do them like it was for work. So in college, you would go and be a leader at a Disciple Now. And it's basically like a, a weekend youth camp at a church. So kids would break up into groups and spend the night at people's houses. And it is really great. It was very cool and interesting and neat and beautiful. But we didn't treat it that way all the time. We would go get hired to be the leaders at those all the time. And so your whole spring, that's how you would like work. Like make money going to all these disciple mouths and, and doing this, which was fine to be paid to do them. But we just treated them like 
It was so cool and interesting. Anyway, and so we would do this, and we would always offer my friend Chelsea to go because you can make money, and it's nice, and you're networking with all these people, you thought, and all these things. And she was always busy. She's always too busy to go. And finally, we were like, what are you too busy for? Come do this with us. You're our friend. Like, come do this. And she's like, well, on the weekends, I have my girls over, and we, we talk about life, and I cook them a big dinner, and I teach them to cook and stuff. And we're like, your girls? Like, your girlfriends in college? Like, what do you, you teach them to cook? On, what are you talking about? She's like, no, man. She's like, I, I do this thing on every week. I go to the, there's this one project in Abilene. I didn't even know where it was. So I had no idea it existed. And she would go every week, and she had this group of girls that were her friends that lived in the project that, that's, you know, parents were or weren't there. Mom, so a lot of them didn't have mothers that she would go work with. They lived with their grandma. And she would have them over at her house all weekend. And they would, like, cook and learn how to do life stuff. And it wasn't like a life skills class. She just loved them had them over all the time. And, and I just remember being so caught by that and thinking, again, we're out here trying to be famous and you're out here trying to love these girls at this project in a, an appropriate, tangible way. And no one knows that you're doing this. And you're definitely not going to be famous for it. And what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Is what I would think. And I remember noticing their lives and thinking, you know, it is costing you to really be a part of the kingdom of heaven. In this world, in this city, where being the most, like, having the most charisma in religion is really valuable and important and helpful for you to get ahead and all this, you've chosen to completely have none of it. And in this town where what you're doing is actually odd and extreme and, okay, that's fine, you go do that, and we're going to be famous, did kind of cost them this getting ahead, this network, this being a cool Abilene Christian, this, this idea. And I remember seeing that, and I know that's the least of what it costs. I, I know that, for sure. But I had never had it really introduced to me in person form with someone I was close to, ever. You know, It was always someone's going to serve in China for the summer. It's going to cost them something for the summer to go move and be away and not make money for the summer with us, and they're going to go do that. Or I had friends that you know, went to wherever. And I just remember really wanting to understand what cost would mean to us here in our presence. And so, again, that's, that's not necessarily even what we're going to discuss at costing us. This is just my intro in the way I've, I've had to like rethink of this. Because again, we're in Austin, Texas. Um, it may not be the most religious place in Texas, but it is overtly, this is so easy to go to a church here. It's so convenient for some people to go to a church here, right? I mean, a lot of plumbers get extra business because they have a, a Christian sticker on their plumbing truck. You know, like that's the way about our culture. And so what does it cost us? What does it mean to cost us something here? And so let's turn to Matthew 8. And um, I'll read it to us, and then we'll, we'll discuss a little. This is this, in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders for them to go to the other side of the lake there. Let's see. And a scribe came up to him 
What is a scribe, by the way? What would the scribe be? Right? What do they write? What did this scribe probably write? But you're right. That's like their profession. Did they copy the scriptures? Yes, they did. They wrote the scriptures down over and over all the time. In doing that, though, what usually happens if you copy scripture for your job your whole life? Huh? You can add some flair, which happened. You would add flair. You know scripture. You know it real well. Okay. If you copy it all the time, you know it really well. If, if that's your job, from the minute you wake up to the moment you lay your head down, and the reason you're a scribe, number one, is because you had memorized it all really well. That would be the method for you getting this job. Is early in school, as, as a small Jewish boy, you would be expected to memorize certain parts of the Pentateuch, right? So you would memorize this, and they'd be like, oh my goodness, he shows such promise, he can memorize it, and he knows kind of what it's talking about, right? So then you would get invited to the next school, and you would memorize more of the Pentateuch. And you might, you might even start to memorize some of, you know, I'm overly simplifying this and butchering how this works exactly, but you'd memorize more and more scripture. By the time you're done with school, and you're getting offers to have these jobs, you have memorized the the Old Testament, basically, and more. Other biblical works, um, you know, predating what we have, contemporaries. You'd have it all memorized, and so then you would start to copy it really accurately, adding stuff sometimes, if it was added through pharisaical you know, thought and all this, you would add some things, or you would write other things, but you would just copy Scripture all the time, so you knew it really, really well. Really well. For us to think about knowing scripture as well as they do, we can't, our brains can't think that way. Because to think about memorizing this is laughable for some of us, right? It's not even, we wouldn't even attempt this, unfortunately. This is someone who really knows the text. Knows it really well. It's professionally, this is his job to know this really well. So yes, that's what, that's what a scribe would do. And he says, teacher... I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's go back to this first one. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is, what is Jesus telling him? Is, is, he, is he even answering the guy's question? Or is the guy asking a question? The guy's telling him, I want to go with you. It's almost like he's saying, be prepared to go everywhere. Yes, right? <laughs> this idea of like, are you sure? Right? And here's, here's what's interesting about Jesus that we talk about during Lent, I, I don't think enough, and I'll, I'm glad we are, is this idea of, of Jesus is headed really to the cross here. From the beginning. This is early. This is so early. And he's, he's really going that way. It's, there's going to be parts of Jesus' life where he's celebrated and people like him. Most of it is not that way, though. And these people gather around him and he's, he's special right now and borderline famous in this area. And he's, he's gathering a lot of followers. And this one important person, this scribe, says, I want to go with you. You would think Jesus would be like, yeah, let's go. We need a guy like you. Let's do this. You'd be perfect for the movement. Let's go, right? But instead he says, foxes have holes. 
birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Which, what does that mean again? You said, be prepared to go everywhere. That's true. What else? What else does that mean? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy because of what? What is, the, what, is the, what is he explaining the not easy part? He doesn't have, he doesn't have like a home. He doesn't have a home. Why is that a big deal? Like no security. Right. No protection. I mean, I remember being, I mean, I didn't have a home in my 20s necessarily. We moved around all the time and I had a home. I had a place to be. But there wasn't a home place, right? I just moved around everywhere. It was really fun. It was nice. Now we, we definitely have a home now. My Kids say, wherever we are, even if we're at a fun place, we're going to be on an adventure, right? On a road trip adventure, or an East Texas adventure, see my parents or something. All this. And they always ask, like, when can we go to our house? Right? When can we go back to our house? I want to go to our home. I don't want to be at Papa and Nana's home anymore. And you're like, don't say it out loud. <laughs> Papa and Nana are literally one foot away from you. Please don't ask me in that way right in front. And my, you know, they laugh. It's fine. But they want their place, right? And Jesus is telling this guy... That's fine. You want to come with me? That's fine. I don't, I don't have a home. Right? I don't have, what'd you say? A home? Like security, or security. Or the safety of that home, of said home. Right? What else? What else is a home? What is he telling him he's not going to have in a home, in a place? He's going to be uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable all the time. Always asking someone else to stay there. <laughs> right? I mean, we don't think about that as being part of the deal, but that would be a little uncomfortable. I mean, you would be uncomfortable with that if I lived that way. If like this week, when I was talking to y'all in the front, if, if you guys were gathered up talking, I came to Nick and I was like, oh Nick, hey, it's good to see you. Oh man, hey yeah, by the way, I was, it's, it's kind of your turn. Can Lily and I and the boys stay over there for a few weeks? It won't be long, just a couple weeks. A couple weeks, we'll bring all our stuff. You know, it's fine. The boys are never quiet. You'll love it. It's going to be so exciting. It's going to be so exciting. How, what do you think? You know, we'll, we'll help out with stuff. Or we'll buy groceries every once in a while. Nick would pretend to like that idea and deeply down be like, please don't come to our house and do that to us right now, right? Or, and then after that, I was like, so, Meg, guess what time it is? It's time for the Everest kids to come over for a week. <laughs> Right? You would what? I would love it. I'm sure. You would love it for like 19 minutes. And then it would be like, oh my gosh, please, someone else come take them to their house. That's what you would, I mean, but it would be, it would put people out. It would be odd, right? It would be odd for me to do that. That would be. Yes, we can act like that's fun because we're all pretending to be progressive right now and thinking of that. But that's not. That wouldn't be fun for you to have us always switching who we live with. You'd be like, oh, it's going to be my turn again in like a month. You know? It's uncomfortable. Wouldn't fit our culture to do that at all. And it didn't fit that one. We don't need to act like that was normal for everyone to do that. It wasn't. Because Jesus said it right then. He warned the guy that he's not going to like it because he's not going to have a home. So it must not have been normal to them either. Right? What else? What else about it? It's uncomfortable. Always. And you're just in someone else's space all the time, right? What else? Safety, security, yeah. You mentioned this is probably an area where people are liking Jesus, and this guy's 
famous off of religion. Yes. He's saying the religion you're going to follow is not going to make you famous and secure and move you up a level or a notch. This guy probably looks a little bit nicer than maybe some of the folks that were following. Probably so. Yeah. Just to think for that guy to, to have gotten where he is with something and then for him to say, oh, this guy is the epitome of that thing that I've worked for. I'm going to follow him, right? Because that's, that's what they would do. They would follow Pharisees and Sadducees and things. This wasn't, this wasn't crazy for him to think, I want to follow this guy and be taught by him. But in doing it, Jesus says, it will not benefit you in the way it has formerly benefited you. And that's what we need to remember. And that is what we need to notice. Following Jesus, really following the way of the kingdom of heaven that's at hand, will not necessarily benefit us like religion of our past has benefited us. It just won't. Our, our preconceived notion before we think of the kingdom of heaven at hand, if we think of a subculture or we think of a, of a um, uh, you know, even a, I don't want to say it in a rude way, even in my Harleton, Texas bubble, being religious would get you a long way. Being a Jesus follower without a nest or a hole or a place to lay his head doesn't. It's odd. You're extreme. You're strange. It doesn't, that's not what you want to do. That's not the way. <laughs> right? That was for this guy in this one time, in this one place. That's when that argument would come up. And so you have this, this, Jesus telling them you're not going to have a home. And I'll, I'll tell you really openly. I don't know if it's because my job, we build like crazy houses that take two years or whatever. But I want a nice home. I, I do. I want a nice house that's like awesome details even and cheesiness in that way. I want it like to look good. I do. I mean like... I have to fight buying new fans in our house. I hate our fans because they look awful, right? And that's so insignificant and nonsense to say out loud. That's so ridiculous. Who cares about the fans? You all probably don't even know what our fans look like in our house. I do. They're all in my head right now. They're (laughs) ugly. They're ugly. I don't judge your fans, though, if I come to your house. (laughs) promise you I don't judge your fans. I know, right? (laughs) I know what what some of y'all's fans do look like, though, in my head, but they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. They're really fine. They're totally fine. So, but, but this idea of maybe, even probably, if I'm listening to this Jesus, to never ever have that is hard for me, sadly. It didn't always used to be. Remember 28-year-old Austin Evers would have been like, yeah, yeah, my goal is to never buy a new car. No, never going to do that. No, I'm, I would never want to build my dream house when I'm older. No, man, let's do something different. Let's do something else with that money, whatever. You know what I want now? I want a bigger vehicle for our children to sit in, because whatever else. And I want a house that's really nice. And I forget that Jesus tells this person who wants to go with him, really does want to go with Jesus, that, oh, that's great. You can forget about all that, maybe. Tell tell him maybe, and I shouldn't imply maybe for me. He says, no, you will not have that. 
Other people will, though. In fact, animals will have what you don't have. A fox will have a home he's built for a long time. A bird will have labored over a beautiful nest that they get security and safety and get to have and show off to their bird friends, whatever. (laughs) But you, not for you. How's that sound, Austin Evers? Does that sound good still? Still sound exciting? Still ready to give your kids that story? That's the one for you still? You're not going to have that. That is unfortunately shamefully hard to think about for me. And it's sad to me this week that that's hard to think about. It makes me frustrated with myself. That I've forgotten that it costs. Or I've said it can cost me something different. I don't want it to cost me that, right? And then he goes, this, this next person comes, this disciple, this one that's following him now. Another disciple says to him, Lord, I want to go too. First, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now that sounds very interestingly harsh, right? Right? Do we, know, we, do we know what this guy is asking? What is the disciple asking, more than likely? Maybe like for a ceremony or like a funeral type. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. What else? Closure. Closure. So this, this phrase, let me, let me do this actually first. So this phrase, let me go and bury my father, usually they wouldn't use this phrase if the father had just passed away. You wouldn't, you wouldn't legitimately, he's probably not there following Jesus right now, and his dad passed away yesterday. That's not the situation. That's what, we, that's what it sounds like to me, even still, knowing that's not the... That's what it sounds like. It's like, wait, don't go yet. Tomorrow we're having the funeral. That's not it. That's, that's, not, what he's, that's not what's happening in his place. He's saying, let me go and bury my father. Let me get my father's affairs together. My father is old, is the deal. My father stays with us. I'm busy with family things right now. My father has come, he didn't come to live with him, he lived in the same probably compound the whole time. I'm putting our culture into it. They've, you know, his wife came, joined that family in their family compound deal. That's how it worked. But his father is older, so he needs to take care of him and manage the affairs. Then when his father dies, who's the head of that family? This one's going to be. More, maybe, if he's the oldest son. If he's one son that lives there near the father, he's going to have to do something anyway. So it's this idea of, let me, let me tend to those important to me. Let me tend to my father. Right? Let me, let me deal with this. Let him pass in peace. Let me deal with the family in doing that, and then I'll be ready. So don't leave too far. Let me, let me get this ready and get it taken care of. And what does Jesus answer him back? Father can bury himself. Which sounds difficult. And we think, what? But, but, but. What happens when one of us is in our hometown or whatever, you, you, you whatever, and then you're going to go to college somewhere else? You leave your parents. Do you know what's going on with them day to day? Once you leave, do you call every day? Good. <laughs> My parents wishes... I was more like you. <laughs> Sometimes you do. Some of you don't. Right? Right? Some of us don't ask our parents how their day was when we call them. We just want to tell them stuff. We want to call them and t- 
talk at them, right? And then what happens even further when you get married? Who do you listen to more? Is it your husband or your wife? You should. <laughs> Don't call your mother asking her her opinion on stuff as much, please, when you get married. Please don't do that. <laughs> okay. I've heard that doesn't work well. Love you. <laughs> so we have, we have this idea, we already have in our culture, this idea of leaving your father and mother, right? Becoming one with a husband or a wife. Right? That's our thought. That's what we do. Sometimes we stay close and live in the same town. More and more now we don't. Right? We just move somewhere else. Talk to our parents occasionally and see them on holidays or as much as we can. If you have kids, you see them way more. Which is cool. And good. But this idea of Jesus saying that is, is yes, yeah, sounds, oh my gosh, the dead bear their own dead? Good grief, Jesus. <laughs> really, it sounds a lot like leave your father and mother and cleave to something else, I think. I think it sounds more like, you know, Jesus telling the guy, yes, I know culturally it's important for you to do this. You know, for the name of your family, you need to handle your affairs in a wonderful way and make sure that it's all professional and upstanding and that show the world that your parent was loved in their old age and in their final days. And yes, I know that's important to you, but what I'm telling you is important is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And today, I'm going to the other side of the lake. Today. I'm not waiting for you. I'm not waiting four years for you to get your life together before you can follow me. I'm asking you now that the cost of the kingdom is urgency. And that is something many of us do not have. It is something that has been stolen from us by our future plans or our future dreams or how busy we think we are or how anxiety-ridden our job makes us. And we no longer are urgent with actions from the kingdom. Jesus says, do this and impresses on our heart to do it. And we say, okay, awesome. Let me think about that and wait and make sure that's what I'm supposed to do. And then I'm going to like bring it up to my restore group and then we're all going to forget about it together. And I will have never done that. And we've somehow been robbed of urgency. Yeah, some of it may be our family. Lily and I really may have let parenting rob some of our urgency. on this Because I, I guarantee you, if we felt really strongly tomorrow afternoon, if Lily had some dream and God in the dream speaks directly to Lily and is like, Lily, sell your things. We are moving to the Philippines to start an orphanage tomorrow afternoon. We'd be like, mm, I don't know about tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> Our kids are four and two. Let's wait till they're in school for a little bit and we'll think that through. Right? what we would do. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just not... What if that could be urgent? You know? And again, what's wrong isn't us maybe taking time to do it. What's wrong is us thinking we need the time to do it. To say, no, actually, I'll wait till my kids are older. I'll wait till whatever else. And he's saying the kingdom will cost you urgency. I'm going over there right now. If you go home and you tend to your family affairs and you bury your father, I will be gone. At this time, he will have been dead 
and rise, raised and gone. If it takes two and a half years for him to handle his family affairs, you will have completely missed it. It's this idea that the cost of the kingdom is, is our future planning, our, you know, well-intended attempts, our well-intended plans, our well-intended ideas of how to change the world or how to be a good parent or how to be a good husband or whatever else, a good student, whatever else it is for you. Your well-intentions, your good, thought-out, hopeful, maybe even Jesus-centric goals do not need to come in the way of the urgency of the kingdom. If Jesus says, let's go right now, we go right then. That's it. We, in parenting terms, we follow directions quickly. <laughs> right? But we've been robbed of this. Our urgency is, is, some of us, we've never, it's gone. And I don't, I don't know how we've gotten to where being a part of the kingdom of heaven that's at hand doesn't cost us these two things anymore. Surely that's not true. Surely it's not like God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is like, oh, that's okay. In Austin, Texas, and America, those two things, they can have those two things. They don't have to be urgent or quick about things unless they really want to do them or it gets them ahead. And they can, you know, they can have safety and security and whatever else like the whole rest of the known world hasn't gotten to have and still doesn't get to have necessarily, but they can have it though. It's totally cool. Totally cool if they do. It doesn't have to cost them that. We've convinced ourselves that that's really it. How did we do that? Why did we do that? Ah, so sad with myself this week for this. Ah. But, so let's do this. Let's pray about it together. And then as we have time of, of worship and we're thinking and we're singing, maybe if we're singing... I don't, can't even think of a song lyric right now. I will go anywhere for you. Maybe if we wouldn't, maybe we, we think about it instead of saying it, belting it out like, of course we would. Or maybe as we sing it, we say, please make that true for me. Really, make that true for me. Or if, I don't know, the Holy Spirit can speak to you. You're all lovely people. So that's what we're going to do. So let's stand together and pray. Lord, we want to confess that your, as we celebrate Lent, as we celebrate you headed to the cross and headed to resurrection, we confess that in our heads, that only costs you. That it costs you life, it costs you comfort, it costs you security and safety and planning. It costs you all those things, but for whatever reason, we've let you take all of that, and we're not taking any of it with you. We're allowing you to be the bearer of that, and people in our past, or people in other countries, or Christians elsewhere to be a part of that. For whatever reason, we've just let ourselves off the hook of it costing us. We know my ridiculous analogies or stories or 
examples are the least of what your kingdom costs us. And we know too, and we believe this, hopefully, please help us to believe it, that it costs so much because the reward is so great. That it costs Jesus everything, life, because resurrection, because the way of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom was too beautiful and too great and too wonderful. So it was worth the cost. In Jesus' name.